Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Earlier, uh, Mark Rattray uh, mentioned about coming casual on uh, Christmas morning. And I, I guess I would just want to stress, he said the children may wear their pajamas. But I couldn't agree with him more. What a, what a wonderful way to focus that day that's so hard to focus, isn't it, when, when you get so caught up in it, but an opportunity to worship as God's people, and then we can enjoy the other part of it as well. <clears throat> in uh, Luke chapter 2, beginning with the 8th verse, and in the same region... There were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Oh Lord, indeed, we, we do thank you for Emmanuel, God with us. And so at this moment, we don't even ask you to come here because we know that you're here. And we pray that the Spirit of the living Christ would dwell in hearts today, would work in hearts, would move us and make us who we are to be, children of the living God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, Daddy. Teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Maybe you've seen that this year, maybe several times from It's a a Wonderful Life. Now, I have to tell you something about that. You're not going to get wings. That's not the way it works. We don't become angels when we go to heaven. Now, I know that there are some of you that have had a bubble burst just now. And that was, you know, that, that, I don't take a, a great joy in that. But if you did, it's your own fault because... I have told you, don't get your theology from movies. That's just not the way it works. But virtually every 
Christmas uh, program, and if you watch the Hallmark Channel, you know, um, has an angel that makes some kind of an appearance in there. And I want you uh, not to ruin all of those things because I, I will tell you this. We've, enjoy it, enjoy the songs and all that. We've got an angel on the top of our tree too, okay? And uh, so it's okay. But I want you to compare what you see in these things with what the Bible says, because after all, isn't that where we should get our theology? Yes, it is. That's where we need to learn about these kinds of things. And so today we're going to uh, take a look at what we can know about angels. And I have to tell you, angels are not the object. You need to know that. There is no angel of God that ever wanted to draw one ounce of glory from Christ. They had other purposes. Now, what do we know about angels? First of all, as I said, forget about all the things that you've learned uh, on TV or uh, in Christmas type stories, Uh, we need to understand, first of all, that angels are scary. C.S. Lewis says, uh, you have the chubby infantile angels. Those Those are the Cupid type of angels. You have those. And then finally, the soft slim, girlish, and consolatory angels of 19th century art. And then he goes on, he says, they are a pernicious symbol. In Scripture, the visitation of an angel is always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not, The Victorian angel looks as if it were going to say, they're there. Now, think about what the Scripture says. And as we have been going through the the songs of Christmas, even if you just limit it to those, you had Zechariah who goes into the temple over on the, uh, uh, for the ceremony of incense lighting, over on the right side, he sees an angel And it says this, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, you'll see a pattern here, do not be afraid, Zechariah. The pattern is, that's about the most profound thing the angel will say first. And that is, don't fear. You have uh, Mary, It says, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Notice each time he says, don't be afraid because here's the good thing I want to tell you. Don't be afraid because this is coming your way. And then you have the shepherds. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. When I was a little kid and I, uh, growing up in, in a public school, I had to memorize this for a Christmas program, and I still remember the phrase from the old King James, and they were sore afraid. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news, a great joy that'll be for all the people. Now, the word in that section, uh, the word appeared, is way too weak a word. A better translation would be that the angels assaulted them. It was that sudden when they came. Think of yourself out in a very quiet place. You hunters know about this, how you can be sitting out in the woods, it can be perfectly quiet, and a chipmunk in dry leaves can sound like a big animal. I'm not talking about Alvin and the other chipmunks. I mean a little chipmunk. Imagine the quietness here. And then boom. But you know what the really startling part? It was not just a big sound. It wasn't even just big light. The startling part was the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That's what, and, and here, I, I do like the artwork where it, you know, some of it shows the shepherds kind of shielding themselves. I can picture something like that taking place because of how startling it would be. It, it, it wasn't even the Lord, it was the angels, but it was his glory that was all around him. Okay, we establish that we will not become angels, that angels are scary. But what was their point? What did they come to do? They are messengers from God. The angels would come and they would bring messages and usually those messages were so life-changing, life-altering, that it took an angel to get the attention of those that they were sending the message to. Think about it, even in the ones that we talked about earlier. You're too old to have a baby, but you're going to have a baby. It's life-altering. You're a virgin. You've never had relations. You're going to have a baby. What's the next message we see? It's the gospel. It's the gospel that when it takes um, root in a heart... 
is way more life-altering than either of those radical things that I just mentioned to you. Now let's look at these angels, how they share the gospel. First, we have the birth announcement, verse 10 through 12. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. You see all these names of, of the Lord. That, those things would be a sermon in themselves. Savior, Christ, Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. First thing that's said, it's, it's gospel. It's good news. <coughs> and that literally, the word there, that we often translate gospel, or we can, is literally. It's good news. How uh, easily we share most good news with other people and how hard it is sometimes for us to share that greatest news even with those we really, really love. And then he talks about it. He says, uh, great joy. Now, you can see various kinds of joy and festivity and all kinds of uh, parties and things like that all over the world, this kind of a joy, this great joy, belongs only to believers in Christ. Those who are trusting in Christ alone for their eternal life. I got to see some real joy this week in the strangest of places. We had a group this week go to the women's prison. And along with some other uh, churches, we provided a meal, and they were most appreciative of the kind of meal. Uh, uh, one of them said to me, well, at least we know what we're eating tonight. We didn't know last night, won't know tomorrow night, but we can tell what this is. So we, we had this wonderful meal, an opportunity to uh, talk with uh, those ladies, and then we went over to the, the gymnasium, and they had a service. And let's just say, uh, when their gospel choir sang, we didn't take them to church, they took us to church. It was unrestrained, unabashed, Worship. Now, did they all believe it? How do we know? We don't know. But I, I suspect that many of them up there, by the expressions on their face, by the, the joy that they had, really believed it. And I was sitting there, and I thought, here Jesus said that one of the things that He would do would bring, be to bring liberty to the captives. And I thought, some of those women up there are incarcerated, but they're free. Because it was clear. They knew the Lord. They were worshiping. I got a letter from a friend uh, who regularly 
teaches in other countries. And uh, he was teaching the book of Romans to a number of pastors in Kumasi, Ghana. And this is what he says took place. As they grasped the truth of God's free grace in the gospel, now this is from the book of Romans, okay? As they grasped the truth of God's free grace in the gospel, the building regularly shook with their clapping, shouting, singing, and dancing. I have to say, I've preached in Romans before and never quite had that reaction, although sometimes in other countries there is much more reaction. Those who have a real encounter with Christ receive joy. Now look, I know we're Presbyterians. So we have our limitations, right? And some of you are Presbyterian theologically. Some of you are Presbyterian by personality. That's what you're comfortable with. I understand that. And it's okay. I'm not going to bawl you out because I know, I mean, I've had this said to me when I say, well, you know, I'm just not the kind that jumps up and shouts and then they say something like, what about at a football game? I say, oh, yeah, well. (laughs) And there's no good answer to that because you don't want to say, well, that's something really exciting. Well, well. But look, there are many different ways to worship. The gospel choir way is not the only way. I love to see it sometimes, but uh, not necessarily all of the time. And in Ghana, they have different uh, ways of worshiping. And in different churches right here in Irmo, there are different ways of worshiping. I'm not as concerned about that. But look, if, if coming to worship is painful for you, Like for some of you, it looks like, quite frankly. (laughs) But, you know, I know because sometimes when I'm really focused and engaged, I might have a sour look too, so that's okay. But if really down deep it is painful for you, then you need to ask yourself, do I even really know the king? That's where my bigger concern is. It's not whether you jump up and and shout or clap or whatever it is. I want you to do whatever God leads you to do. No more, no less. But I'm concerned about what's what's inside here. Is Is it real in there? Because... A real encounter with the king changes us. What is it to know him? Well, very quickly, it's in their message. It begins with God's glory, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And that's where it always begins. Not with man, but with God. And when we get those reversed, it's going to be a wrong focus. And worship is not worship when man is the center, when what we do 
is the center. And then he's, it, it's about peace to men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. <coughs> now, what kind of peace is it? Well, there's a, a reason to sing if Jesus' coming meant world peace or meant that whatever problems we have are no longer there, that there'd be no more suffering or pain. But that's not the kind of peace it's talking about. You know what, our, our, our troops are coming home, but I don't think anybody is deluding themselves to think that, that there's absolute peace behind that. It's not that kind of peace that the Word is talking about. Or could it be because the world is straightened out in general? Well, think about the world in this day when this announcement was being made. After Jesus came, they were still under Roman rule. That didn't change. In fact, if anything, for Herod, when the king came... It says, uh, when King Herod heard of this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. It got worse for some people in terms of outward peace. And it's not because my life no longer has any problems. And anybody that tells you that the core of the gospel, if you come to Christ, then you won't have any more problems, run. Because that's not the case. had some people say, you know what, it seems like my problems on this earth began when I came to Christ. Now, there's a big difference because Christ is in us at that point. And it's not because suffering is over. In this day, the boys under two and their families suffered more greatly. So when we talk about peace, we need to know it wasn't about that kind of peace True peace is based on relationship with the Creator. That's what it's talking about. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's about reconciliation with God. That's the peace that's being promised here. Now, how do people take advantage of that? How do they get that peace? Which men will get that peace? Verse 14, men with whom he is pleased. Now, if we're not careful, it could sound like, it could sound like that's talking about us earning our way into his good pleasure. In other words, it could sound like once he's pleased with us, then we can get a relationship. The fact is, it's talking, instead of that, it, it's talking about the reason for our salvation. Not because of our work, not because of our obedience. If it were because of any of those, we would never be saved. But because of his good pleasure only because of his good pleasure. Another translation of this goes on to say, those on whom his favor rests. And I think that's a good way to 
to remember it. Those on whom his favor, his grace rests. Not the ones that work the hardest. Not the ones that do more good than bad. But the ones on whom his favor rests. You know, even in the venue that he chose, God chose to present this. For us to to hear this gospel through these angels, he specifically chose to talk to shepherds. When we think about shepherds, a lot of times people think of, oh, that's a noble profession. You have Abraham, Isaac, Moses, David. They were all shepherds. Or you might think of the the Christmas pageant where you put on the bathrobe and it's, uh, you know, mischievous but cute little boys, uh, you know, who are the shepherds and they're relatively harmless and that kind of a thing. Well, that wasn't the case in this day. In fact, the the shepherds in this day were the, the base element of society. They were despised. They were mistrusted. They were the disenfranchised of the day. They were thought to be crafty, dishonest, thieves. Their reputation was so bad that they could not testify in court because everyone assumed that they would lie. You can't testify if you are a shepherd. They were the poorest. No job paid less. Remember when they went to the manger? They didn't have gifts. Education-wise, illiterate. They wouldn't have read the Old Testament scriptures. Now, the angels could have gone to uh, theologians or the religious of the day. Probably. That whole situation, though, if it had gone to the theologians or the religious of the day, it would have gotten overanalyzed or denied. Now, that didn't really happen by the liberal theologians of the day. Or maybe some of the way too conservative ones would say, no, no, God doesn't talk today. That couldn't have happened. Or they might have taken pride and said, well, obviously our way of religion is being blessed. Or he could have gone to the wealthy and powerful who might have thought they were being rewarded in some way. Instead, the gospel was first given to those who had nothing to offer. No qualification. No works except bad ones. Nothing to commend them to God. And that's grace. And that's the nature of the gospel. And that's where we are. If you think you deserve the message, you are far 
from the kingdom. It says in verse 20, And the shepherds returned after seeing the Lord Jesus, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They were changed. And a real encounter with the Christ will change you, will change us. He is the living and true God. Praise be to that God. Let's bow together. We are reminded, Lord, we have nothing to offer but empty hands. No qualification, no works, except maybe bad ones. Nothing to commend us to you, Father. And that's why we need the Lord Jesus. Will you open our hearts to enable us to respond to your favor? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.